the latest in agricultural media, and some smart conversation. This is the Ag Communicators Network Podcast. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the AgCom Network Podcast. I'm Kelsey Litchfield, Chief Communicator at Colleen Callahan Consultancy, and your guest host for this month's episode. Today, I am having an ethics conversation with Greg Horsmeyer, Editor-in-Chief at DTN, and Dr. Owen Roberts, Faculty in Agricultural Communications at the University of Illinois. The last five years or so have presented concerns with trust in journalists and in the media, their credibility, and most recently, censorship of information. Today, we discuss a myriad of topics underneath the ethics umbrella, including the history of ethics in ag media, the blurry lines of advocacy versus journalism, why information overload in a 24-7 news world is a problem, the need for professional ethics statements and documents, and so much more. Greg and Owen do a great job of explaining these topics and gives us listeners many points to think upon. So let's jump into our conversation. Thank you, Dr. Owen Roberts and Greg Horsmeyer for being here today. And pleasure. Thank you, Kelsey, for inviting us. Interested in having this conversation. Yes, me too. So I want to start off with just kind of a background of why I wanted to talk talk about this conversation today. So there's a lot going on in the media world right now with journalism, whether it's news, print, or radio, television, or now even going into the digital realm of podcasting. It's no secret that there's been a lot in the news surrounding this, such as um, you know, what's going on with Spotify and Joe Rogan. Um, other pieces of journalism that have been in it. There's just, there's what I have observed in the past five years is more distrust in the media. And where I'm going with this is I um, led a workshop uh, just about three or four weeks ago called Mastering the Media. So we work with people on how to um, do media interviews and the proper techniques of how to do that. And in my research of doing that, I had discovered through a Gallup poll that Americans trust in the media has dipped to the second lowest on record. And I thought, whoa, I mean, I knew it was there, but I didn't realize um, how much more worse it had gotten. And now looking at the current events, it seems like you see something every day where people are talking about censorship or misinformation, things like that. So where I'm going with this is I want to start off kind of with the history um, have either of you ever seen the distress in the media this bad? Does it go in spurts maybe? Or what? what is your observation looking at journalism as a whole, comparing the past to the present? Do you want to start, Greg? Sure, I can. I Well, Kelsey, I mean, I guess I would say I would agree with your premise that I think in terms of the of the situation and the distrust of the media, uh, and, and the knowledge of that distrust. I mean, I think that's part of it too, is that not only do we see a high level of distrust for the media uh, today, probably more than we ever have, although, you know, and Owen's more st- a student of history than I am in terms of the 
Teapot Dome and those kinds of days, yellow journalism and those kinds of things. But but we know about it more. It's more it's more in front of us um, because of the networks and the social media that we have today, and, and the conversation is much more global. So I do think it's worse uh, than it's ever been. Um, but certainly the the notoriety and the conversation around sort of distrust for media is is probably at an all time high. And I think the point that Greg made uh, about uh, social media is a good one because now everybody, everybody is a journalist. Everybody's a journalist. Yeah. So I think people are more, uh, as Greg said, attuned to the media. Um, but I, th I think that's, that's really been the change. And, uh, you know, when you talk about challenges, knowing that figure that you mentioned about the Gallup poll, imagine, imagine convincing uh, young journalism students that they should be journalists right now <laughs> when, when journalists have slid to the bottom of the uh, popularity uh, or public trust uh, chain. But, you know, and, and Greg, I'd, I'd be interested in your comments on this because you've been around for a while. It seems to me that uh, history is kind of repeating itself in the ag media. And that's, that's really kind of where I've been focused, you know, back in the, um, back in the 80s when there was a farm crisis and people started to pull in their horns as in um, advertisers, there was a big, big uh, debate going on about ethics in the media. And the conversation then was really about uh, this whole, and, and this is a classic Jim Evans, um, Jim Evans-ism was this triad that Jim had identified with some other researchers back in the 80s about the, the relationship between publishers, advertisers, and journalists. And there was a lot of pressure as, as the farm economy got worse. There was pressure on publishers by advertisers to... Uh, I think this was kind of the rise of the advertorial back then, or at least the, the start of it. And there was pressure on, on these uh, publishers to run advertorials that maybe didn't look, well, they were new, so they didn't really have a look yet. And they weren't really a, an established part of, uh, of the communications system. So there's pressure on publishers to run advertorials. Then it turns out, as Jim and others research revealed there was also pressure from publishers on journalists to write stories that might be sympathetic towards uh, certain advertisers. Now these were these were isolated cases and it definitely did not involve everybody in ag media but it was a concern of ag media because there were certain um, there were certain instances of it that that could be seen. And in a very competitive situation, those tend to stick out. And if you, you know, if you're if you're a student of history and you know that history tends to repeat itself, you kind of wonder uh, could that potential situation happen again? And I was involved with some research with Jim in the in the early 2000s to see what kind of changes had been made since the 80s, and it was really. Um, the power of the ag communications network that I believe and that he believed had a significant impact on raising the level of ethics among journalists 
and trying to sort all this out about who, um, where the power uh, should lie and that there should be an ethical connection between uh, publishers, advertisers, and uh, journalists and communications professionals. And it seemed over those 20 years that there had been some ethics presence in uh, the Ag Communicators Network and therefore among professionals that there was some, um, some uh, pushback to this uh, suggestion of influence, N not just the suggestion of influence, but the influence itself. Because, and Greg, you might want to comment on this, uh, and this is something Mike Wilson has always told me, is he'll, he'll tell uh, sources and advertisers that it's much better for credibility and therefore for your publication or your website or whatever the case may be to not have influence, to not have uh, any kind of um, pressure from advertisers or from publishers because it makes the stories better. Therefore, the readers are more apt to consider your publication credible. Yeah, I would, I would, um, I would agree with that, Owen. I think, um, and you've you laid out the history really well there. And I, I agree. I'm, I was interesting to hear you say that sort of history is beginning to repeat itself because I think it is, in a couple of ways, um, in terms of of what ag media does for agriculture. Um, but I, I think there's no doubt that that issue of ethics and, and advertiser pressure. Um, waxes and wanes over time. I mean, I've seen it. And it and it typically, um, I mean, two things I think are at play there. One of them, which you said I agree with, is sort of what's going on in the marketplace. Um, the, the pressure to be supportive of agriculture, to be a cheerleader for agriculture can sometimes be part of that. I think the new thing that's that's part of that now, and, and I want to be careful here because it's also, it's also a, you know, if done right, this is a good thing for advertisers, for, for people, um, farmers, um, because they can get access to information. But the technology today, so you mentioned the advertorial, you know, and the advertorial was fairly easy to deal with because as long as everybody agreed to the rules, you know, you put advertorial or you put, you know, advertising space or whatever on that printed piece that went in a magazine or went in a newspaper and right. you, and you called attention to it and you use different type or whatever, and you could sort of, you could sort of call that out um, and, and make it um, make, make it known that the reader knows who was, you know, really talking to them. Today, the technology allows for a lot more, you know, videos and audio and all kinds of different ways to reach uh, a farmer with a, with a message and the ability to make sure that they understand where that's coming from is just gets tougher and tougher and tougher. It's easier to miss is I think part of the problem. So, yeah, so I, you know, I, I think you're right. I think there's, there's, um, there's a, an interesting time now with the technology that we have, especially in the digital world to provide um, marketing or strategic communications messages for advertisers in with our um, editorial copy um, and the challenge really, and it is a challenge, um, especially in the digital world, because it's, I mean, we face this in our own situation with our own websites. There's only so much we can do in terms of type and setting things off and all those kinds of things within the, the realm of the website uh, without having to go in and rebuild a website or, you know, do a lot of development work. Where in the old days, you just clicked a different 
typeface and maybe chose a different paper to print it on or something like that. It's a little hard to do that on the web. It's a little, it's a little easier for things to be confused. Well, and it's easier for people to not self-identify as, uh, and, and this is non-ag media, or at least non-traditional ag media I'm, I'm thinking of here, um, like, like advocates or, uh, you know, the, an anti-opposition group, much easier to not identify themselves as such. And I see lots now, and this is particularly in the, in the daily media, I see lots of um, people who are contributing opinion pieces and opinion leaders continue to be a, uh, an, an entity that uh, in the whole communication model, I see a lot of them identified as journalists. You know, so-and-so in the, in the uh, trailer, so-and-so is a journalist with the blah, blah, blah uh, organization. Well, you know, we, we as journalists and as educators and communicators know that these people are not really journalists, not in the sense that you would, you would like a journalist to be known. They're advocates. And does, you know, is that, is that bound to make people confused? Um, and who says you can't self-identify as a journalist? Right. If, if a publication accepts your uh, commentary piece or something and you say you're a journalist, I don't know, you know, that's, that's, a, that's another ethical call. Yeah, I agree. The, 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 the slippery slope between people and, and even within the individual, one day I'm a journalist, the next day, maybe I'm not, you know, mm -hmm. um, if I'm, if I'm doing more kind of an opinion piece, but certainly the, you said it earlier, uh, everybody is a, is a journalist now, or at least everybody's a communicator. Um, everybody has the ability to communicate and try to uh, earn influence. And um, yeah, the blurring of the lines of just what a journalist is and, and what journalism is, is uh, tough to, to, to keep in front of um, our readers. Yeah, that's something I've, I've thought of for a while now. And as a young professional in my career, you know, I have podcasts that I do. Do I consider myself a journalist? No, I want to be eventually. I think of myself, I don't deserve to be called a journalist right now because I'm not doing journalism work. Everything I say on those podcasts is my opinion. And I think that's very, that's very important. And that's, that was one of my questions. I feel like we've, we're already talking through it is the different forms of journalism. A lot of things you see out there are opinions nowadays. It's a part of journalism, but it's not the whole gamut of it. And I think of a piece that was recently in the New York Times, I'm not sure if you've seen it, is there was an opinion called Meet the People Getting to Paid to Kill Our Planet. And it was about agriculture and climate change. And it was an opinion piece. But I feel like there's a lot of confusion as people took that as actual fact. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Well, I saw that. Did you see it, Greg? Yeah, I did. I did. And yeah, it, it was, it, it made me hang my head a bit about the New York Times. Um, uh, I, I mean, I think it was, I think it was identified uh, uh, the way that the Times would identify it. But I think you're exactly right, Kelsey, in that there was huge confusion as to what that actually was. Yeah. I, I saw it as well. And I, I, and I brought this up in my class and we had this as a, as a discussion item. We have discussion boards that we we have a yak on after class. And the thing that really got me about this was it was a video 
opinion piece. Mm-hmm. And that took it to me, it took it to a different level because with video, you can get away with so much as an, as an opinion leader, if you're so inclined to do so, then you could with a written opinion piece, because that uh, for people who didn't see it, there was, I don't know, what was it? Maybe seven to 10 minutes long. It was, it was pretty significant in length, but the images were repeated over and over um, several times, not all of them, but, but some of the ones that were more damning than others, it seemed, or maybe those were the ones that leapt out at me. But uh, like if, if you had submitted a written opinion piece, uh, you know, as, a, as an op-ed or a commentary, you know, maybe, maybe you'd have one uh, visual to go along with it, but, but maybe not. But with this one, uh, as far as the, um, the advocacy goes, you could just like the, the, the images, the, the damning images that were repeated over and over. It was just to me, it, and I suppose that could get into another discussion about what's opinion and what's propaganda. But there was, uh, it certainly borderlined on propaganda to me. Um, and, and that was the visual element. And I think that's, uh, I think, Greg, that's, that's a new arrival is, and I know you can, you know, not, not you, but a, an organization that has a good website could also put up its own videos. And does that further raise the question about, you know, what's, what's ethical and where is the line between journalism? And you think the New York Times would know the line between journalism and advocacy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a line that's getting tougher and tougher and, and probably no place, well, I don't know, any industry probably has these issues from one standpoint, but certainly is it a, it's a big issue in agriculture, that, that line between balanced reporting information, that's what I'm going to call it, journalism <laughs> and advocacy. Um, you know, we, we've in this industry, you know, for 40 years, I've been involved in, in this industry and there has always been a, an uncomfortableness and, uh, not quite knowing where the line is between being a, uh, a, a constructive supporter of agriculture, which is where I kind of put myself in. Um, uh, I'm not out to, 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 to ruin agriculture. I'm out to make it better in a general way, but I'm also out to be honest about it. And the ag- advocacy for journalism, I mean, for rather, for agriculture, you know, I think that's been one of the issues. But then on the other side of it, what we're talking about here is the the adv- advocacy and the, and propaganda is the right word. Uh, oh, I, I like that word, um, that uh, of someone trying to, you know, paint a picture that is completely, you know, either one-sided or, you know, doesn't have all of the, the pieces in it. Yeah, and I think you nailed it as well when you mentioned balance. That's something that I try to bring forward to my students all the time. And, and, and Kelsey, you were saying, you know, I don't consider myself a journalist yet. Well, I, I think when you strive for a balanced story, you're, you're absolutely adhering to journalistic principles. That's what I try to tell my students. Yes, we're here to support agriculture, to bring, to bring um, stories and issues to the fore. Um, and, and there's, there's some jobs there as well, right. To, uh, communication jobs, some good communication jobs. And from what I can tell quite a few of them based on the, uh, the requests we get at the university of Illinois for interns. So I want my students to be able to uh, fill those jobs 
but I teach them journalistic principles to fill those jobs because they have to know the difference between advocacy and and uh, and journalism. But it, but balance is the key. And you know what are both sides of the story? And regardless, if you're a journalist or if you consider yourself a professional communicator, it really behooves you to know both sides of the story. Um, for, yeah, for it, it, yeah, indeed, indeed, even even if your even if your goal is to be that advocate and to be that cheerleader, you're going to be a better cheerleader if you know both sides. Absolutely, yeah. right. I was listening to a um, podcast the other day. It was actually a former interview of Orion Samuelson. I've been thinking just a lot about him and um, his broadcast journalism career. And I have his book. And so I've just, I've just been on a kick of listening to old interviews of his. And right before he retired, he gave an interview at WGN. And one of the questions I thought was um, that goes along with what we're talking about today is kind of this content overload. You know, we talk about this digital um, world that we now live in. You can get things 24-7. You can watch cable news 24-7. You can listen to podcasts 24-7. Do you believe there is a content overload in our society that contributes to this problem that we're having of distrust in the media? Well, I, I absolutely believe that there is, um, you know, it's made it tougher and tougher for any individual to sort through um, what, you know, what, what they're going to pay attention to and what is information that they should consider and think about and what is propaganda that they, you know, probably should just cast aside. It's it, that, that the vol the sheer volume and the sheer, you know, that 24 seven, that constant just stuff coming at us all the time uh, makes it tough especially when you take a, a, a population that seems to be, and I don't know when you'd be better at, at answering this one or not, how much people understood the role of the journalist throughout history and, 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 and cared about whether they cared about it or not, what the role of the journalist is and what journalism was all about. I don't, I don't know if that's worse today than it is in the past, probably. Um, but certainly you, we have a high number of people who don't understand um, sort of what the role is and, and what's kind of going on there. Um, and I think that that continues to, to further, you know, blur the lines and, and make it difficult for people to sort out what's, what's opinion and what's fact and, and what's balanced and what's not. Um, and just if I could just continue that thread, I think there's a lot of other things that have played at that as well. I mean, I think as a journalist, one of the, there's two big disappointments in my, in my industry. And one is what's become of cable news. And I don't care which program you're talking about, but, but the, the way that cable news has sort of, you know, had a race to the bottom of trying to be as, as, um, simplistic and and common themed and and trying to to do a job of of courting a certain audience um i don't think any of us ever thought how that was going to play out it's it's great to have all these venues fox msnbc cnbc cnn 
uh, all uh, NPR, all, every, everything, every channel you can think of. I mean, I've got a serious satellite um, uh, subscription and, you know, I can just keep bouncing around all day long between all the different venues, all of them with a little bit different bent that if you just lock onto one, you've now sort of locked out um, your ability to, to, to get balanced information. And so I think that's one of the things that's sort of added to this is sort of what's happened to, to what, we, what we call cable, what I'm calling cable news anyway. The other, I think that's really, that concerns me most is the demise of the local newspaper. Um, I, I think we all saw that happening through, through the last 30 to 40 years. And we knew that that was not going to be a good thing, but I don't think we realized how, damaging that was going to be because now there's not even a local if i'm if i'm living in a small town someplace i don't get the chance to have someone i mean and some of these small town newspapers you know and when we were young just the editors were just absolute lions you know just fantastic yeah. journalists and they made sure that their readers kept a little bit of balance out there and that just doesn't exist anymore it's 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 gone I think one of the one of the uh, interesting developments too is that this is really uh, th this whole I, I believe information overload has become a generational thing. I don't sense my students now. Uh, I don't think they feel information overload because they've always been part of it. They've always mm -hmm. always been around them. You know, so much um, so much multimedia has been around them. And that's really, to me, that's really reflected as well in the jobs that are available now, because uh, back in the day, Greg, you'll remember if you could take photos and write stories, you were versatile mm -hmm. or, you know, you didn't, you didn't need to have as many skills as, uh, as students now. And when I see job openings and when I see the expectations of the uh, employer, they're really significant. And it's been a real signal to me and others, I think, who are in education that uh, we need to up the game as far as giving skills to the uh, to new graduates who are have those uh, electronic skills, no problem. But they don't have what we're talking about now. They don't have the uh, skill, the critical thinking skills that have traditionally been part of an education, and this isn't to say they're not bright, they're very bright, but they haven't been exposed to uh, discussions about the media, because they don't really get it. The media to them is all this swirling dervish stuff that's going on right now. That's the media to them. So, you know, to come in and try to help them sort it out. And I start with balance and the truth. And I try to get the point across to them that if we have a balanced story, that's the closest to the truth that you're going to get, because then at least you have both sides. And when they start to see what is advocacy and what isn't, we've made some progress. I completely agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, it, it, it comes down to um, having that skill set that you talked about that, that you start off with, which is, which is around balanced reporting and critical, critical thinking, uh, question and, and thinking. And uh, but but great point in that our new um, hires uh, and we're going through this, you know, at ETN Progressive Farmer, you know, we're not looking for writers anymore. I mean, I still want people that can write well. We still need writers. But, you know, they, they do have to have all these other skills. You know, can you uh, 
be in an audio program? Can you be, can you, can you do a podcast or can you, you know, speak clearly? Um, can you operate a video camera and can you tell stories with videos? There's a, there's a lot of technical skills that are required that are taking up a lot of people's training time. And, and maybe at the, as you're suggesting at the, at the, at the loss of that critical thinking training. Yeah, well, we've, we have a course in critical thinking now. It used to just kind of be something that we talked about in everything. But now, um, you know, like if we had students for five years instead of uh, four or uh, whatever, maybe we wouldn't, uh, things would be different. But there's a lot that they have to pack into, a, into an education now. And so we've introduced critical thinking because it's so important. But Greg, could I pick up on what you said about writing? Do you, do you still... My perspective is if you can't write, then you can't write a script and you can't write a lot of the things that are electronic oriented that that uh, may not appear to be writing based, but are. Do you do you find that like, do you think we're putting too much emphasis on on writing? I don't think so. No, I think it I think I still think and some people might say that I'm a Luddite because that's where I came from. But I still think and I would argue that being able to write clearly, as you were saying, is sort of the foundation of everything. If you're going to do a script, if you're even going to, you know, speak in a Facebook live and sort of talk off the cuff, the ability to put notes down, think a story through in a written format clearly and think about the words that you want to use and then and then vocalize those words is absolutely critical. Well, Kelsey, could we sometimes have a, uh, could we have a podcast one of these days on skills that, uh, that young, young uh, journalists, young communicators need? I think that would be fascinating to hear from people like Greg and uh, I'd, I'd really... I'd really welcome it. I welcome Greg's comments now about what uh, what people need, as particularly as him who is hiring some some of these folks. But I think just to bring it full circle, it sounds like Greg. They also need some type of understanding of ethics. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, ethics is a big part of of what we. Um, are doing. I mean, we have a fairly sophisticated, actually, it's a, it's a multi-page document. Um, Urban Lehner, my predecessor, put it together um, that, that it very concretely spells out what we, re, what we expect of reporters and, and the kinds of things that we are, are striving for and what we do there. Oh. Um, so we, we take it pretty seriously. Um, Is and, it kind of an onboarding thing, like when they, when they join? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a document that they're not tested over it, but there's a document that they're, they're typically given. Now I would have to say lately we've hired people who've been in the field and we kind of know, you know, those people kind of know what's going on. So that's not quite as been as much. We probably haven't talked about it as much as we would if we were hiring young folks or maybe somebody who had not been in this field and had come to this field. Um, but certainly we, it is part of, part of their, uh, they're coming into the, to the fold. And, and I, I, I occasionally, you know, even with a seasoned staff, like we have, I, I have to trot it out once in a while and go remember folks, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, this is, this is how, this is how, how we do things. Um, and probably have done that more lately. Um, you know, I think one of the things, sort of the one of the elephants in the room here, uh, the reason for this conversation and, and some of it and some of the issues around it has been the last six years uh, of the political spectrum and sort of where the country has come and where politics have gone and, and the previous administration and the issues of enemies of the people and things like that has certainly brought all this to bear 
Um, and so, yeah, we've, 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 we've drugged that old document out a few times here lately. Mm. It's great to see that there is shift in the ethics as we grow, you know, in this digital world. I was kind of in the in-between when I was in college. Um, two specific examples come to mind. The top two things I learned in my journalism class was be unbiased. So that goes to the balanced reporting, report both sides, and being right rather than being first which I had um, witnessed a couple weeks ago when there was reports, and this is a non-ag example, but I'm sure there's many examples of when Tom Brady, um, it leaked that he was retiring and everyone wanted to be first to report it. Turns out it wasn't actually true. Oh, maybe actually he's not. And, you know, you saw that back and forth. So it, it's good to see because I, I want to be ethical in all the reporting, even opinion that I do. And that is something that's very important to me. And I hope that through everything that we're going to, that our audiences are able to pin out those credible sources. I tell people when they're on Facebook, they just share an article and they don't see that it's from 2011. Or I say, have you looked into that author? Are they credible? They, they're just, they just share it because that's mm -hmm. something that goes along with them. So seeing that with all this, that it may be problematic. I hope that it turns things around into we're thinking more about ethics now and it's better for us in the long run. I think it's tough not to think about ethics for some of those reasons that, that Greg mentioned. Um, I try to have, um, I'm not trying to hype my students here too much, but I'm pretty proud of them. <laughs> and what we've done is, and, I, and th this is again in response to uh, what employers are asking for. They create a portfolio now a professional portfolio. And in that portfolio, one of the lead items is a professional ethics statement. Not a personal ethics statement, but a professional ethics statement. Because I think if, to me, uh, and I've hired people before too, uh, young people, I want to know where their head is. I want to know what they think about, uh, um, not necessarily what they think about issues, but how they approach it. And it, get back, it gets back to what you said, Kelsey, about uh, what you learned about, uh, about balance and about uh, not being, not necessarily being first, but being, but being right. And is that part of your, I don't mean you personally, but as, as, a, as a entry level journalist, perhaps, is that, is that part of your ethics? You know, I want to be, be right, I know not necessarily first, I want to be balanced, not ad, not necessarily an advocate, but I support journalism. I mean, you can see these types of things that could be in a in a professional ethics statement, and uh, and and again, having that, having people state that, um, at least get, gives them when they're thinking about it. Or Greg, when you're when you're asking people to uh, kind of revisit it on an occasional basis, if you don't if you don't have your own professional ethics statement. You, know, you kind of have to make one up on the spot. You know, you know where your heart is. You know where your head is. But, uh, but if that's, and I'm, I'm so glad to hear this is a, that this is still something that you uh, that document that you have, that is part of of your culture. Um, I mean, what a great thing to have. Absolutely, yeah. It's 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 great to have, and I would you know I would suggest that any 
any organization um, have something like that that they can kind of fall back on. I, I'm, I'm the benefactor of, of uh, the hard work that, that Urban put into it, um, but it was it was well thought, thought out. And and we've adjusted it a little bit over time. There, there are some things that, as the industry has changed a little bit, that we've, um, uh, in terms of reporting and coverage, not in terms of the ethics itself, but in terms of what we're allowed to do, attend events that, that advertisers put on and things like that we've had to we've had to adjust it a little bit but uh but the underlying underlying point is that you know we're 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 we are seeking the truth and and that's a somebody i think maybe kelsey said it earlier it's it, the truth is something to, to strive for but if but balance is 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 a part of that um achieving balance achieving and achieve and balance isn't easy i think that's one of the things that i've found with some young reporters or reporters that are kind of coming into the industry um the 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 definition of balance is sometimes um up for a little bit of debate there's a there's a there's a quote that's circulating around and before this talk i actually tried to figure out who actually said this and i can't yet figure out if it's attributed to ben bradley it's been attributed to a couple of different people but it's essentially uh, the quote is something to the effect of if someone says it's raining and someone says it's dry it's not the journalist's job to report both and call it balance it's the journalist's job to look out the bleep window and figure out what's actually <laughs> happening <laughs> and and so there's there's a bit of that balance conversation that i think uh, is continuing to go on as well as we because one of the things that's driving us um and i didn't say it earlier but one of the things i've noticed throughout my career is two conflicting messages and one of them is that i mean since the very beginning of my career i've heard farmers don't have a lot of time uh, our readers need information quickly, don't belabor it, get to the point, those kinds of issues. But then there's the issue of, of balance and, and making sure that the farmer, if, he, if he's getting, or any reader, but, but if you're getting information in a, in a condensed and, and shorter and quicker, quick, quick to, to, to digest version, are you getting that balance in there? And that kind of gets to the tough part. Is, is, that's where the rubber really hits the road is, can we, can we get these things out in front of farmers uh, in a, in a quick way yet try to maintain that balance. Um, you know, Kelsey, you're, you're right on in terms of, you know, we are in a competitive environment and we, we do try to be as, as quick as we can with things. But, but my guidance to my, my team is exactly what you said, which is, I don't want to be first. I want to be first, correct. Um, and if first correct means first, that's great. If first correct means second or third, but everybody else has got it wrong and we got it right, then I'm okay with that too. Well, it's interesting what you say about the, the shrinking time, because I see a lot of emerging in the media. I see a lot of emerging um, statements like a, a subline that says, why this matters, mm -hmm. followed by mm -hmm. a very brief one sentence statement. And as a, as a communications professional, journalist, whatever, I mean, you have to make ethical, you have ethical considerations into what in what you say in that one sentence that summarizes the whole story even right indeed indeed uh, and, and we've always we've always made those uh those ethical decisions when we uh, decide you know what what's our lead going to be yeah we make a news we make a news judgment on it but we make an ethical decision too about what we're going to put in there right and, and is the uh and what are the ethics of attracting a reader you know we have, we've always said well that's just that's just good news sense well 
you know, maybe there's some ethical considerations in there too, about, are you, uh, are you, are you not stretching the truth by any means, but we're always looking for the most interesting thing. And this is what I tell my students. That's okay. It's okay to look for the most interesting thing. That doesn't mean you're being a sensationalist or you're doing an injustice to journalism. That just means you're doing a justice to your readers, listeners, or viewers by bringing forward the most interesting thing. So let's get that in the first five words of the lead, not uh, not something that's not as attractive. That's a really good point. You know, the other thing that's on top of that is this whole search engine optimization issue that we now face today that's kind of made that a little even more complicated. Um, how do you get a balanced headline or maybe it's a deck or a call out? We, we have summaries that show up in some of our stories and, and Google is searching those. And so you're, you're, it's, the job has not gotten any easier. I mean, you're trying to be balanced. You're trying to be interesting without being sensational. And then you're also trying to get words in there that, um, that, the, that the spiders you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. find and, and guide people to your content. Uh, I mean, we are spending a lot of time researching those things and trying to find that sort of happy balance uh, between those. And those spiders just have no ethics. They have no ethics and they have no sense of humor either. <laughs> Well, this conversation for me could go on all day long. Um, I want to give you both any parting thoughts that you want to share, anything that you didn't mention that you wanted to make sure come through. Go ahead, Owen. Okay, yeah, I guess I'd just say let's uh, let's keep an eye on things as the farm economy is changing all the time, and as we as we watch uh, as we watch input rises, in, input prices rise, and we watch consumer prices go up and such, and um, and the challenges that are going to be facing the uh, the ag sector over the next little while even though some commodity prices are up uh, there's there's some cha- some challenges that are not unlike the 80s and as as communications professionals I think we have to you know kind of look back and say hmm what uh, what are we what could we be facing and that to me is, is just a good management thing to be on top of it and to to be aware of it. And I think this is a very timely uh, decision by you, Kelsey, to bring forward an ethics uh, discussion because ethics, I think, again, not that they haven't subsided as far as their importance, but they could be uh, in the the ag media, in the ag world, there could be, and and again, with consolidation and all those other kinds of uh, pressures that are very public now, um, uh, it, it's a it's a good time to have a conversation about ethics. I, I would completely agree with that, and I think I, I think the the pressures, all the pressures that you mentioned, just bring that need for that conversation, you know, along even further. What I what I wonder about and what I struggle with is how I also have that conversation with my readers. Um, at the very beginning of this, I think, Owen, you said something about Back to the Future and about how uh, history repeats itself in terms of what ag media is doing and what it's facing and, and those kinds of things. And one of the things I've began to wonder is once upon a time, tens, twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, up until really the rise of television, um, ag media, the, the, the magazines and the ag newspapers were really the farmer's window to the world. Um, and if you look at those old publications, 
um, you know, the kind of coverage that they had and the things that they talked about in the advertising they carried, you know, they were much broader than what we are today because that was the, the one thing that landed in the farmer's mailbox that they got information from. And of course, today, farmers are bombarded with all kinds of things. They can turn on their TV. They can, you know, they can turn on satellite radio. There's all ways they can get information. But from a journalistic standpoint, I, I almost wonder sometimes if we're not back to the future there. If, if the farm publication or the farm media that is sort of addressing the farmer and has his attention is kind of becoming his window to the balanced world. And I feel, I feel a greater sense of responsibility and dread in some ways to my readers about what my job is to help them make sure that they know what they need to know, um, even in terms of what they know about journalism, uh, than I've ever felt in my life. I thought by maybe by now that everybody, the society would get this thing and we'd, we'd move on. But I, I sometimes wonder what we need to do as, as ag journalists to make sure that our readers, you know, understand and, and can delineate between all the things that we've been talking about earlier. So, so there's no rest for the wicked here. Yeah, the job is never done. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, I almost feel like this is a part one. You know, it, there's many things we can continue to discuss. Um, it, the conversation never ends when it comes to ethics. It's always um, shifting and evolving, and I, we will continue this conversation. But I think you guys have brought up excellent points today for our listeners to think upon. And as we move forward, um, Definitely, definitely some good thoughts today. So I want to thank you both for taking time out of your busy schedules to come on here today. That was worth every minute. Thanks. Absolutely. Pure pleasure. Owen, great to, great to hear your voice again. And Kelsey, thanks so much for, for pulling this together. Yeah, likewise, Greg. Thank you. Thanks, Kelsey. Thanks again to Greg Horsmeyer and Dr. Owen Roberts for joining me on today's episode. If you want more information about ethics, I know those two would be a great resource. And also the AgCom Network does have an ethics committee and can be a resource through that avenue. Again, I'm Kelsey Litchfield and thanks for tuning in. This has been an Ag Communicators Network podcast. Thanks for listening. And please visit us online at agcomnetwork.com for more great content.